All right. Well, if you uh, were not with us last week, um, we did start a series called I Pray. And I told you last week that this is not a how-to on prayer. Uh, I don't think I need to reiterate what Jesus has already said about how to pray. He addressed that in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, and I, I think it's held up over the centuries that this is the how-to. What we're looking at is the the what for. What are, what are we trying to gain out of our prayer life? And so I, I shared with you a couple things from uh, Ephesians chapter 1, which is where this series is, is kind of rooted, where Paul prays for the church in Ephesus. And it, it, verses 16 through 19 specifically, he says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And so we talked last week about that spirit of wisdom and revelation, which is where Paul says that it starts. And it's very simple when we think about this. It's not something creepy, weird, or unusual in our life. What Paul is praying over that church and ultimately us who would see this prayer is that he wants us to have a deeper understanding, a knowledge of what evangelical truth looks like. And I told you last week, don't let what the world and denominational belief has turned evangelical into. That's not what we're talking about. We're strictly talking about the truth incarnate from the word and the truth that became that came as the word in the flesh. We're talking about Jesus who reveals the father. We're talking about the word that reveals Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit. Like I, I can't reiterate that enough. We can't leave the word out. We can't leave prayer out. We can't leave the Holy Spirit out and, and think that we can come to a place where we surrender ourselves to Jesus. Folks, there's nothing in you and I that want to do that. I don't want to give up anything in and of myself. I want to be the center of my universe. But the Holy Spirit constantly tells me otherwise that you can't live that way. You don't want that. You think you do, but it's going to kill you. And I have to put myself in a place of submission to that. And so the knowledge and the wisdom that he's talking about is not something that I can manufacture for myself. I can't just teach it to you. We have to be able to open ourselves up and say, okay, God, that idiot talks about this all the time, and I'm going to listen, and I'm just going to say, Lord, I want what he's talking about. I want that deeper wisdom, and I want you to reveal who I truly am and who you truly are to me. Can I tell you, he'll do it. He'll do it. And we talked last week what this, what this kind of prayer will actually do for us that Paul talks about when he says the spirit of wisdom and revelation, it's going to connect us exactly what Shane just showed us, that deep, intimate connection where there is nothing more important than this relationship. There is nowhere I would rather go when I do have things that are going on in my life than back to the Father. He's the only one that cares as much as, as, as I hurt, he cares more. As much joy as I can experience, he wants to experience it with me even more. And we want that intimate connection that comes with that. And then the other part of it was we want that clarity. And this kind of prayer is a clarifying prayer. Anytime we get to a place where we're praying and we seek and we, we come in earnest and we ask and we're confused, it's not, it ain't him. The scripture says that that confusion comes when 
the power of the spirits of this world, the devil himself, come in and try to manipulate and turn and change and rearrange your prayer so that you're like, I don't, I don't know what's going on here. God is a clarifying God because he wants to make it plain. Like when he put out the commandments, what did it say that he did? It said he told them to write it plainly, clearly, so that you can see it. You can't confuse it. And what does humanity do? What do we do? We try to find loopholes in it all the time, don't we? That's where the confusion comes in because we allow ourselves to be drug away by so many other things. But when we get to that place of intimacy and that connection with God and our prayer life, things just get clarified. And there's clarity and we can, we can see not only where we are now, but we can see a future. We can, we can understand the vision that he's given us. We can understand all of that. And we closed last week talking about that all of that is because prayer is powerful. Now, what I said in that was we're actually going to talk about that specifically today because it's not our prayer that's powerful. It's the God that we pray to that authenticates that power. And so I want to make sure that we understand that because it's not coming from a place where we have the authority and we have the power. It's borrowed. It's given to us. It's still his authority, his power. He grafts us in and allows us to have that. And that that in and of itself should humble us to a place where we're like, wow, you give me your presence. You give me the God of the universe says, I want to be in your situation. I want to be where you're, you come to me with your concerns, but we also make sure that we do it under the right circumstances. And so I'm going to skip a portion of this passage, and we're going to actually go to verse 19 at the end of it, where he says, His incomparably great power for us who believe. And then there is a continuation of that passage. As he goes on, he says, uh, the power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every Way. And so we have to ask a question. I tell you every week that I, I come to the passages that God leads us to, and I have to ask questions. I am a question asker, and God always has an answer. All right, God, what do you mean by your incomparably great power? Because what do we do? Like, we're a comparison people, right? So when we look at a situation, we want to compare it to somebody else. You ever had somebody, maybe telling on you this morning, you ever had somebody that you've just had a bad day and you're sharing that bad day with them and they've got a worse day and they're going to share it back with you? Oh, you think you had it bad? Well, just listen to what happened to me today. Well, that's not what I need, Jack. <laughs> I'm just coming to you with my bad day. We want to compare. Like everything that we do is in comparison to other people, other situations, other circumstances. We're, we're comparison people. So when Paul comes in and he says this incomparably great power, this is so transcendent that you can't look to anything in all creation to try to compare it to, even though we will. It's the, the point of it is this, that we cannot fathom exactly how powerful this is. Folks, he gave this to us. And because we sit back and we try to compare it to something else, we diminish the power and authority that he's given us. And so when we're praying in this power, we're like, 
well, it gives me the, it gives me the strength to run through walls or it gives me the power to do that. No, you can't compare it to any of those things. It's far beyond, far greater. And guess what? When we talk about faith, that's why it takes faith because you can't compare this power to anything else. You're just going to have to go on faith that God's power, His authority, His, His creating ability, His creating undoing ability is far above and beyond anything that we can comprehend in our own senses, in the circumstances that we live in, and the way that we see and understand things. So then we're going to go back and we're going to ask ourselves another question because that's what I do. So how in the world do I get this power and what is it that he does with that power when he gives it to me? I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. You remember last week I shared with you a passage from James chapter 5 and that passage tells us it says that the prayer offered in faith can do what? Audience participation. Make the sick it can make the sick person well. How many prayers have we offered for sick folks in our lifetime? And we end that prayer in, but if it's not your will, Lord. What does that say? It says that the prayer offered in faith, I can't fathom this power that you have. And I'm not going to question this power that you have. I'm going to have faith that this power that you have can make the sick person well when the doctors can't. When no medication can fix it. Well, Michael, we can't. We can't do that. Because you can't fathom this power. That's why it takes faith. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what are we actually putting our faith in when we pray to the God of the universe? Do we have faith that this power is possible? Most of us would say from a, a really a legalistic point of view, yeah, I believe it's powerful. All right, then let me ask another question. Then why are our prayer lives so weak? God, I'm in a jam. I need some more money. I've spent too much. Can you help me out of this? And then when he does it, you're like, well, I guess he's not powerful enough. Got nothing to do with it. You got a spending problem. God's not going to bail you out of that. That's not, that's not diminishing anything. All it is is you showing a weak faith in a power that is greater than you can comprehend. And we're all guilty of it in areas of our life. So remember, everything that I have ever said in this house, God's dealing with me first. And he's telling me, you, you can't say this to them until you deal with it in your own life. And I have to deal with it in my own life. Because sometimes I'm like, God, I don't even know if I want to try to get through this day to day. But with his power and his authority, that can change. It goes on and he says, if they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other, so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It's not... It's not your righteousness that makes it powerful and effective, though. It's his power that makes it powerful and effective. And so when we see that power and that authority that God exhibits, folks, he's given that to you. If you have put your faith in Jesus and you have said, I am 
who you say I am, and I surrender myself to you. I, I confess my sins to you. I repent of those sins. Remember what repentance is. First, a change of mind. What happens when we change our mind? We change our patterns. We change our thoughts. We change the way we do things. We change the way we look at things. And then we're going to conform ourselves into his will. And so when we've been offered this power and authority, what are we actually doing when we pray like this? This is what we're doing. It is, it is giving us the ability to invite him into our realities. That's the first thing that it does. This power, the thing that God does, I always put it this way. God is absolutely a God who is going to exact judgment on people. It's going to happen. But you know what he's doing right now? He is a patient gentleman that is allowing humanity to come to him. That's what he's doing right now. He is patient and he's waiting. And it, that's why I say he gives us the ability to invite him in. A lot of people theologically won't agree with that statement. God can do whatever God wants to do. If he wanted to just save you out of whatever, he would do it. Well, Michael, why doesn't he? Because he wants you to choose him right now. He's giving you that opportunity. And when you take that opportunity, he gives you the ability then to invite him into your realities. Now, let me, let's put it like this. This reality that we're talking about is not your fake propped up reality that you try to make everybody else believe. That you're exhausted about because you got to make sure you keep your story straight. You know what I'm talking about? Like, God can handle your mess. Where, I'll give you an example. You come in this morning, hey, how you doing? Oh man, I'm doing good. Doing good and well. That the devil has chewed you up and spit you out all week. But we're going to fake it till we make it. You can't do that here. You can't do that in the presence of God. God already knows. He wants you to invite him into your reality, not your delusion. Oh, God, I'm good. God's going, son, daughter, you're not. And I know you're not. Just take the mask off and be who you are before me. So when we talk about inviting him into our reality, he's not looking for the same thing that you think everybody else is looking for. I got to dress this up, got to make it look good because people won't accept me as I am with all of this mess and all the stuff that goes on or I'm too happy all the time and they don't like that either. God wants all of it. He can handle all of it. You're not protecting him from you. He's trying to protect you from you. He wants to be a part of the process in your life. And, and you don't understand some of the things that are said in the Psalms until you can just take that mask off. And you can just invite him into that reality. Like the psalmist says in Psalm 42 verse 1, he says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. You can't say that until you've just laid bare and seen the reality. You know, David has gone through... He's broken every commandment there is to break. And what does God say about him? He's a man after my own heart. Committed adultery, committed murder, has done all of it. Lied, cheated, stole. And God says, why? Because 
You see it throughout the Psalms. David's like, man, I am a wretched man. I have completely blown this. That's the MIV version again. Michael International Version. But he, he's, he lays himself bare before God, even in the, the mess of his sin. And then he can say, as the deer pants for flowing stream, man, my soul pants for you. When our soul desires for it to be that closeness, that intimate, intimacy that we talked about last week with God, and we, we really invite him into our realities, we really begin to experience the power and authority of that prayer life that God wants his people to have. So here's the thing. Just take your mask off. Stop pretending with God. Be real with him. Show him who you really are, folks. He already knows. It's not going to be a surprise. He knows who you are. He created you. He, he put you in the circumstances that you find yourself in. All of the things that are going on in your life are for a reason. Somebody's having fun back there today. Are they really upset? And once we do this, once we take that opportunity, I want, I want to be able to highlight a couple things. Because when we talk about the opportunity that he gives us for us to invite him into our reality, what does that look like for us? Well, the first thing is this. It gives us the ability to be restored. Like if we're not going to be real before God and you're going to pray those fake prayers, don't expect him to do anything miraculously in your life. Like we, we have to play our part in this opportunity. If God is telling us through his word that this is what I want to do in your life, one of those things is to restore the relationship that humanity has destroyed. Sin is not anybody else's fault. My sin is my fault. I have to take responsibility for that. And I have to be able to put myself back in front of him and say, Lord, I repent of these things and I don't want to be these things. I don't want them to define who I am. I want to be in that intimate relationship with you. We have that ability to be restored. And when we realize what we possess in the Holy Spirit as he comes into our life and he begins to guide and direct us and lead us through his word and lead us to people around us and leads us to, to start working some of the stuff out of our life, it changes things for us. And the, the scriptures actually tell us what's possible. And you can go all the way back when you put yourself in a place of submission to this power to Deuteronomy chapter 30. It says, when all these blessings and curses have set before you come on you and you take them to heart whenever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations. And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart, and with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes. And have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you back to the land that belonged to your ancestors and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous in your ancestors. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and Live Restoration in this instance is a very general term. And so when we start thinking about restoration, it's pretty clear what God says here. But let's put it more in our context in a modern sense. What is he actually restoring for us? Number one, he can restore your mind. 
Because some of you are crazy. It's just as back there raising his hands. Oh, praise the Lord, it's me. I'm nuts sometimes. But the scripture tells us that there is opportunity for your mind to be restored. And it actually tells us in Romans that we do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The only reason Paul would say something like that is if it was possible with the authority and power that the Holy Spirit has given us. If we do what? Invite him into our reality so that restoration is possible. So he is, he is willing, able, and can restore our minds. He can redeem our thoughts. And we have a hard time believing that, especially in our modern society where everything is defined by anxiety and depression and all of these negative terms that all are rooted in our minds. Is there a place where that, is, that can be some of our realities? Absolutely. Do not hear me underplaying any of that. But I still believe that the power and authority that God's offering says that I can renew your mind. That I can overcome these things. It's possible for all of that to take place. I can see restoration of my own mind. The second thing is I can see restoration of my hope. Because some of us live in so many places that our mind takes us that are hopeless. I can't see anything positive moving forward. There's no hope. God says otherwise. David actually said, right after the psalm I just showed you, in Psalm 51, he said, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. That sounds pretty hopeful, doesn't it? And God says, I can do that. I can restore your hope. The other thing that he can restore is your peace. Holy cow. There's no way my life is defined by chaos all the time. You know what? It doesn't have to be defined by chaos. There can be chaos going all, all, all around you, and you can be just as peaceful. I was going to say something, but I'm not going to say it. Because it's bad comparison. I'm not going to do that. All continued in Romans when he's talking to the church at Rome. He says... May the God of hope, we just talked about that God there that can restore your hope. He said, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look, he wrapped both of those up in one simple statement. And for a lot of us, we have to have this explained to us. And then we have to have it reiterated to us. And we just, we have a hard time grasping that that's, that's possible. Like that restoration is possible. Like, well, I know he's going to save me. He can save me and I can go to heaven one day. This is all for right now. This restoration is for now where everything feels crazy and everything feels hopeless. And I don't have any peace. And my mind is just a thousand places at one time. He still offers restoration for that. Are you asking him for it? Are you, are you giving him the ability to do that? 
Because not only does he, this power give you the ability to invite him into your situation, into your life, it gives you the ability to be restored. And the last thing that I want to point out, it gives us the ability to change minds. If he can change my mind and he can give me hope and he can give me peace, he can use me to do it in somebody else. So there, there are a lot of, I know there's been movies that have come out about prayer and things like that. Uh, what was the movie that came out not too long ago? What's it called? No, not that one. Some of the the, the old lady that go that prays all the time. War room, there it is. I don't watch any of those movies. I'm not a God's Not Dead fan. Sorry. Everybody's a villain, and God's the hero in all those movies. Well, you know, God came and died for the villain, right? Because you and I were villains. But war room, like think about what that, that lady, the, what she possessed, she believed this. And she would go in that prayer closet and she would petition her God for other people. And even though it's a movie and it's meant for entertainment, there's some truth attached to it. Because when I start praying over other people, whether you want it done or not, God works God uses the authority that he's offered to me to see change take place. I have the ability through my prayer life to see change in your life. So sometimes when I'm praying for something for you and you get a little uncomfortable, come see me. Let's talk about it. Let's see what God's doing. Because I, I'm just be transparent with you. Sometimes I'm like, God, make them uncomfortable. Because I feel like we get so comfortable just coming in and sitting in our little comfortable chairs and singing a few empty words and listening to a message and going on about our life and nothing's different when we leave here. So yes, I pray for your discomfort sometimes because God makes me uncomfortable regularly and it's not fair. <laughs> You're going to join me in this. But there's a, an excellent example. The book of Philemon, like nobody ever goes to that book. Like, we would like to blot it out. You know why we'd like to blot it out? Because it talks about slavery. Slavery's a bad thing. Absolutely it is. But because of what is transpiring here, you need to see this. Because this is, this is what Paul's doing about a changed mind. Paul writes to Philemon. He says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. And then in verses 8 through 10, he says, Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Do you know who he is? He's a slave to Philemon. So Paul is writing and telling Philemon, Hey, bro, this is what I'm praying over you. I got this dude that escaped from slavery, ended up in prison with Paul. Paul shares the gospel with him. He's saved. Guess what the first thing was that he wanted to do? What's the first thing that you and I would do if I get out of prison and I was a slave? I ain't going back, am I? Guess what Onesimus wanted to do? I need to go back to the master so that I can share the gospel with him. Nope, mm -mm, I ain't doing that. That dude used to beat me. That dude put me to work. I ain't doing it. 
But that's not what the gospel did in his life. And Paul, on his behalf, pray, is, has prayed something and then writes it to him and says, guess what, bro? He's coming back and he's got a story to tell. And you're going to change. You're going to accept him as a brother, not as a servant or slave any longer. Tell me how bold and crazy that is. God, make them uncomfortable. We have that ability. And Paul wasn't afraid to tell the guy that he's praying about secretly that this is what I'm praying over you, bro. And you better come up and do it because you claim to be what I am. We have the ability and God calls us to do this, but he also calls us to be the little nudge that people need. Sometimes it's not a nudge, but it's a swift boot to the butt. Sometimes we got to do that. Sometimes I need that. I've had people walk up to me and do that to me before. Did I like it when it happened? No. Did I complain privately? Well, I can't believe they would do that to me. But as God continued to use that voice to continue to speak, I go, okay, I get it. It gets aggravating, but when you surrender, you're like, I understand. I get it. Folks, you have that ability. The question that we have to return to is, do we believe it? Do we believe it? So when we go back to Ephesians chapter 1, and we see that last verse in verse 19, the first part of verse 19, where he says, his incomparably great power for us who believe. In order for restoration to take place in my life and in order for minds to change around me, I have to believe that I have a power and authority that I have borrowed from God that can change things, that can influence and do what this shirt says, inspire others. Do you know what discipleship truly is? The word disciple in the New Testament means inspire. It's not some fancy thing that we do in the church where we have Bible studies for years and years and years and nobody does anything. It literally means that the power and presence that I'm inspired by inspires other people. See how simple that becomes? It's not complicated. Now, I, I want to close with this from Exodus because this is a beautiful picture. I see, I see Moses doing this and I see us doing this. Because we're all going to have that reluctancy and we're not going to believe that this is possible for us. It says in Exodus 32, verses 12 through 14, it says, Moses says to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Now, before I get to the last part of this, do you hear kind of the tone that Moses has? He is questioning his own power and authority, not God's. He's questioning his own power and authority. Notice how he says it. He says, you say to me, bring this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me, yet you have said. He says, I know that I can't do this, but you said that I know you by name and you have also, that I, you have also found favor in my sight. So Moses had to take himself from a place where he said, I'm not going to trust in my power and authority because there's no way I can lead this nation out. 
Like all of us are going to feel that way when we encounter these opportunities that God's talking about in our prayer life. We're going to feel that way. I can't influence anybody. Bull. Not in your own power and authority, but God says in my power and authority, you absolutely can. You, you have that opportunity, that power and that authority. Moses goes on and he finishes and says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. He knows I can't do this. He says, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people. Is it not you and your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. Folks, if he has reached into your reality and shown you your need for a savior, you have that favor. Stop acting like you don't. Believe the power and authority that God's, God's given us through the Holy Spirit. It's not just for the nation of Israel anymore. It's for everybody redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That's for you and I who have put our faith and trust in Jesus. You've been given his presence, the Holy Spirit, that the church has made scary, spooky, and weird. He's not. He's freaking awesome. And he gives us a power and authority that we can't have on our own. So while we're standing there saying, God, I don't know about this, but I trust you. God, I don't know about this, but I trust you. We got to stop leaning more on this side of God. I don't know about this and just start moving in the direction of, but I trust you. So church, you need to know that this incomparably great power that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter one, he says, it's for us who believe. So the question that we have to ask ourselves, do I believe? Do I believe that I can have that prayer life with the God of the universe that the word says that I can? Church, you can. To the measure of your faith, you can. So just put your faith and trust in him. It's that simple. Let me pray over you this morning.